Let's put the rad in radical. If you're looking to expand your life, then you've come to the right place. We're Amanda, Ali, and Reina, and each week we're setting the scene to level up our everyday lives in all areas. Mindset, lifestyle, community, and more. And we want you to come with. All right, everybody, welcome back to Let's Put the Rad and Radical. The three of us are pretty excited to actually be the four of us today with Michelle Kimbolis on our episode today as our guest. Um, we've got a pretty heavy hitter here. I mean, the content that Michelle shares online is not only inspiring, but educational and uplifting. And it really is the basis of what she does to serve in her virtual community in person and, and well beyond with courses and other offerings. So um, I'll just give a quick intro. This is um, yet another uh, amazing Vancouver woman that we're excited to connect with. Ali and I are both from uh, Vancouver, as you know, and um, we're just gonna be talking all things body, connection, revolutionizing your life. Um, she is a meditation teacher, a clinical therapist. She has her PhD and she focuses on mind, body and medicine. And what's powerful too, is that she's also an author of two books. Um, I wanna make sure I'm getting it right, but it's Generation Stressed and a new one, When Women Rise, all of which are absolutely on the vibration and wavelength that we talk about here on RAD. So it's such an honor to have you here taking any amount of time, but just to record with us is such a gift. So Michelle, really, when we have guests, we love to know where our guest got started. So who is Michelle? Where does your journey begin? And how can our listeners sort of get to know you a little bit and where your path began to this amazing revolutionary work that you do today? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Amanda, Allison, Rena. Um, and that is such a big and important question, because I think when we really get into our lived experience and telling our stories, then that's where the richness of connection really comes in. And, um, and we women really crave that, um, that connection and um, like ability to kind of find ourselves through each other's stories, if you know what I mean. So um, my background as a clinical therapist and now um, doctor in mind-body medicine started a long time ago as a kid. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty um, troubled family system, a lot of mental health struggle. Um, my brother in particular had really significant mental health challenges. And, um, and it was a really um, painful upbringing. I was also well supported um, enough to um, have the resilience to be able to um, find the, the growth opportunities and what was happening in my in, in that ecosystem. And there was, you know, it just takes one person to really change your life and support you towards uh, your highest well-being. And for me, it was a school counselor. Who would spend hours with me as I um, express my and metabolize my my grief and my fear and um, and my and my worries and at that point I just felt like there needs to be more people in this world uh, like this guy <laughs> who can hold space and um, and uh, nurture and um, really. Kind of lived through his heart center. And so I went to school and went on to um, get a degree in counseling psychology. 
And so the, the, the path as a, as a healer kind of began there. And um, I, I can't imagine um, a, a different path for myself. I think we're really kind of born into our highest good. And for me, I was really fortunate to, to discover um, what that meant for me at a really young age. I'm wondering if you can kind of share, because I, I truly believe that as you kind of grow and evolve into these paths, that there are some huge life lessons or things that kind of push you a certain way, where if you don't do the personal work, maybe you overlook them. But I'm wondering if you had any big pivotal moments that kind of shape shifted you from the girl sitting in your counseling office, kind of dissecting grief and any type of trauma to a woman who is at the forefront of teaching other women now how to do that. Was there a pivotal moment? Was there a fork in the road per se that you decided, you know what, this is, this is a deep heart calling for me. Mm. I think so life is the teacher and, and it unfolds as it should and if we're present enough <laughs> and and mindful enough we can we can take the information before us and really use that to to to, to grow and transform and to to find that um or to, it's actually more about discovering ourselves when we have paths to know ourselves well we intuitively know what we're called to do, both on a micro level in terms of what's happening in the moment and on a macro level in terms of our life purpose. And I mean, I'd have to say every time I've been slammed down to the mat emotionally, you know, those ego deaths, I've reemerged with greater answers. So, you know, my father was a race car driver. He ended up in a, in a car, a motor vehicle accident that left him paraplegic. Um, I've suffered uh, eight miscarriages, went through divorce, have had um, major um, uh, health crises. So li life unfolds in ways where we face great hardship and, and, and trauma. And through that trauma, if we can like, welcome all of it, we have the capacity to, to use those experiences in ways that bring us out the other end in a, in a qualitatively different way, in a more empowered way. And so that's, that's really um, the way I try and support clients through, through their own difficulties you know, within that framework. But you saw it earlier, and I, I wrote it down because I loved it, that you found opportunities for growth through that trauma. And I think some people take that life experience and they change their life, or they take that life experience and it takes a turn for the worse. What do you think allows people to choose growth? You know, you, and you kind of answered it there. It's like a welcoming to use that you know what I mean, as an experience and as a lesson, but what do you think is deeper there that allows people to kind of take that positive turn versus allowing themselves to spiral, you know? Oh, that's such a pivotal question. And I think we all have that capacity. We all have the capacity to take our hardship and, and use that as a welcoming space 
for change and for transformation. Um, I think, you know, and, and we are all in, in choice. When we're well supported, it's easier. When we have everyday practices that prepare us for those difficulties, um, it makes it easier to be able to, to navigate um, and be awake to um, those experiences and, and, and utilize them in a meaningful way. So, you know, for example, um, practices that return us to our inner world, that really help us get to know ourselves well, are a great training ground for life itself, M meditation, breath work, journaling, um, you know, con any kind of um, contemplative practice that returns us to our self-knowing bolsters our resilience. So there are, there are everyday practices that really provide us with um, the playing front, the play, the playing field, the like the platform, the the foundation um, to be able to rise up and out of trauma or difficulty. You know, I was I'm listening to this and I'm literally furiously writing notes because everything that you're saying is like just this quotable quotable moment that I think so much of so many of us forget that we do have the power to take that hardship. Like you just said, take a hardship or take uh, a challenge and make that, decide to make that a transformational moment for ourselves. And I know between the three of us, we've all certainly experienced those things, but it hasn't always been easy. We may not have been surrounded by the most support in order to do those things. And we may have done them very much alone. Um, I know Ali has struggled with uh, postpartum depression through becoming a mother. Um, uh, Reina has dealt with a lot of um, internal issues, um, you know, ulcerative colitis being one of them and, and major stress. And I too have battled with depression and suicidal thoughts and, and we've all pulled ourselves, ourselves out of that. And I would be curious to know with the women that you work with, what are some of the biggest struggles they face to make that decision to say, yeah, I actually am going to take this really challenging experience and say, you know, I actually deserve the time. I deserve the effort. I deserve the energy. And I, we've talked about this on the podcast before where we're usually women tend, unfortunately, to be the last on their list. Like they won't even give themselves a time of day. I mean, if we're adding motherhood into this as well, like that can absolutely play a role. So what are some of the struggles that some of the women that you work with face to make those hard decisions and say, I'm, I'm worth this effort of what it will take to revolutionize my life and choose the joy or choose to at least be on the path to rediscovering it. What are some struggles that you've come across and heard from, from other people? Yeah, well, you raised a really important point, which is um, having the courage to create the time and space to be able to tend to yourself. And we are mired in a cultural ecosystem of white patriarchy that has really you know, shaped us in ways and we've co-created because we're part of culture. We've co-created um, a reality where we are, are constantly putting other people ahead of our own needs to our detriment. And it's on the one hand, it's a beautiful quality, but on the other hand, it's very self sacrificing and so that that self-denial prevents us from being able to um, really 
tend to our own inner needs so that we can strengthen and be in our highest truth and listen to our authentic voice and, and truly share our gifts with the world. And so, you know, the decision to go to therapy, to ask for help, to make that commitment is um, like a big part of the, the battle. So by the time I have, you know, someone um, ten, uh, attending a session with me, they've already done a huge part of the work. But we're constantly then um, navigating ways to cultivate a life that that continues to create those those openings. So I mean, saying no, saying no to like, no, I will not be in agreement to um, being all things to all people. No, I will not be in agreement to being the good girl all the time. No, I will not be in a, in agreement to. Um, denying my own needs and my dreams um, is, is just such an important part of healing. Man, as a mother of two small humans, I do not use the word no for myself a lot. I use them a lot for them. No, don't touch this. No, no, no. And I, so I, I love that you just kind of almost empowered me to be able to say no as a woman for things that maybe don't serve me. But I'm going to ask a very selfish question because I am, I see myself very much as a beginner. Um, where would you give our listeners and myself beginning tools or resources or first steps to get the ball of learning who you are rolling? Like, where do I... Sometimes, Michelle, I'm just like, where do I start? Am I journaling? Do I need to breathe four up in the, the square? Like, what am I doing? Where am I starting, Michelle? I need to know. This is a pivotal question. And this is exactly why I wrote When Women Rise, because I wanted to give women tools and um, practices that are evidence-based, that are scientifically supported, that um, cultivate uh, a life of well-being. And so the, the truth is you're already perfect. You're already whole. There is nothing to add. Um, but it does mean um, that we need to, uh, you know, crowd out activities that aren't self-supporting and welcome in practices that are really going to bolster our well-being. And so I look at that um, from a perspective of mind, body, and soul. We can't ignore any part of ourselves. So if we're to return to the body and support our body, which is the first step, we need, we need our bodies to understand that we're safe and create a, a calm internal you know, um, environment. That means um, finding time to move your body and to exercise and to, and to, and to honor it. It might mean walking in nature. I mean, these are very simple practices that are self-honoring and bolster your mind, body health. It may mean breath work. It may mean, you know, doing four, four, six, two breathing where you breathe in for four, you hold for four, you exhale for six and you hold for two. Returning to the breath is one of the most potent and simple mechanisms that we have to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. That's the part of our nervous system that's soothing and calming. Um, it may mean um, integrating meditation, just five minutes. There's so many resources now to teach meditation. 
and um, and it's and it's now so well supported scientifically as a way to um, not only support our mind body health but but help us to get to know our own consciousness, get to know ourselves well. It may mean it's like this is really all about inner listening. What am I drawn to? Maybe you you try a few things and just notice what serves you best. Maybe it's a conscious um, journaling process. The right question at the right time can take you so deep, deep into yourself that it it it's transformative. So you know, really what we're talking about here is um, getting curious and, and exploring um, what we know to um, really serve well-being. I like how we all unmuted oh, yeah, all, uh, unmuted. all at once. <laughs> we're like, I have a question. <laughs> I, I just want to ask, why do you think that's so hard for us to sit and go within and not ask for, not, you know, be everything to everyone, like, not taking the times to go inward and recenter, like, you know, and we have all these tools, like we have access to meditation, we have access to journaling and Pinterest is full of like self-care things. But why do you think it's so hard for people to stay consistent at that when you know what's possible? It's almost like it's, people think it's easier to not do it. You know what, it, does that make sense? Well, I love this question our culture doesn't reward it. What we're taught is to strive and to be in the doing and the moving and the proving and the, and, and the creating and, and producing. And there's so much reinforcement for that, but we don't, we don't honor the stillness. We don't honor the internal processes. There's such an interesting study that came out of Case Western Reserve University um, by a woman by the name of uh, Jean Twangy. And, and she took all of the uh, cumulative research uh, over the last 50 years from a database uh, that researchers have access to from every university. And she wanted to understand the difference across in terms of our well-being across time. And she discovered that over the last 50 years, we've become 80% more externally focused than we were before. So that means that our value system, what matters most is external. How famous we are, what we look like, how much money we have, how many likes we have on our, whatever it is that we've posted. And at the same time, we've become 80% more anxious and depressed. So as we, as we focus on the internal, it really drives us away from our greatest source of well-being, which is our internal world. We will never get, gain happiness, well-being, um, a sense of stability through the outer world. We, we can only access it through our inner world. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you touched on this because I know that you have a sizable following on social media and you did just mention the external validation and, and the lack of reward that we get for everything that's the opposite of the prove it and move it and work and hustle and grind. Like, why would we, especially if let's say you thrive on words of affirmation or acknowledgement, why would we then take the slow, take the quiet, the introspection instead, right? Like, 
it's almost like we've been groomed to not value that as a result. And, and you mentioned social media. And, and I would be curious to know how, especially in the last year, we've had an interesting year. Like everybody has gone through um, as a collective a lot, lots of turmoil, lots of upheaval. Um, and also, honestly, a lot of online time. How do you, how do you, I mean, honor this space and continue to do this work and do it so consistently, knowing that there is that online aspect that does kind of promote that dopamine hit of the post or the like or the comment or the share or the this and that, like, how do you create a boundary with the most prevalent thing and even let's say building your own business or reaching new clients and things like that, like, what would you say is your practice on having a healthy interaction with social media and or what have you navigated this year especially because I'm sure our listeners can relate to this and um, being online and plugged in so much more than ever but that comes at the cost of being literally not plugged into yourself to a certain degree I'd love to hear your thoughts on this so once a year I go on a silent meditation retreat it's um, for 10 days and we don't talk there's no, you know, reading, you can't bring in a pen or your technology, um, your eyes are cast down. And, and really, you're very much alone on an island with yourself. And the level of detox that you go through in that process is, is just phenomenal. <laughs> and you go through so many emotions, I'm starting with terror. <laughs> and, um, and, and what you're doing during that process, and there's like nine hours of meditation every day and an element of, you know, fasting, and it really is a purif purifying um, process, but you're metabolizing everything that you've taken in throughout that year. Um, and, and that includes everything that you take in through technology. And um, when I was really young, I was 16, I, I um, became Buddhist and took refuge in, in the Dharma. And um, as part of that practice, I'm really cautious about what I expose myself to. And so the, the mediums that I receive, you know, news and information from, um, I just try to be really responsible with, um, you know, where I'm, I'm accessing information so that I'm not constantly exposing my mind to um, you know, scintillating dramatic stories um, that are negative and over-dramatizing and really over-focusing on um, trauma and pain. I need to be aware of those things because I need to address them and I need to be an active participant, an activist in ensuring that we're addressing um, oppression and you know, racism and sexism and, and dealing with our planet and all of these things, but it requires a disciplined ap approach so that we're mindfully engaging with information sources and, and technology in a way that actually serves our well-being. So we can't always screen out for, for everything, but, but you can ask as you're on technology, how, how do I feel right now? How is my body responding? If I were to scan from the top of my head all the way down to the tips of my toes, how am I reacting to this? What's happening in my heart? And how much time do I want to give this? That's an amazing just 
reflection to have because I notice for myself, even just sitting down and I'll, you know, see an Instagram post and then I'll just start scrolling and then I'll go to D and by the end of it, and it could be five minutes. I notice an elevated heart rate. My palms are sweaty. My stomach kind of feels a little weird. Like I feel these like physical symptoms sometimes from being so plugged into social media. So I love that you said, I'm going to need the information on this silent meditation retreat that you're doing because I'm like, can you imagine, like, I don't know if the three, like the two of them can imagine, like silence for, for 10 days. Is that, it's 10 days. 10, 10 days. Yeah, no, it's like Navy SEAL shit. This is <laughs> really, it really is. is. And, and incredible. It's the, it is honestly, um, if for anyone who has access and the privilege to be able to check out of their lives for 10 days, um, it's, it is a, a beautiful homecoming to your soul, to, you, you know, your, the essence of your being. I want to find out all things essence of my being like this, is like you are talking a language that like truly makes me, I want to say the word excited, but I don't think that like, I'm just like, I, re I resonate so deeply with the way that you speak, but I really wanted to get you to talk and give me, <laughs> I need you to give me more information about your book because I am in love with the title when women rise. And I hope that like that, is amazing. But I read a little bit underneath a post you did, and I want you to kind of unpack this a bit more. I just wanted to share. And so this is a quote from you on one of your Instagram posts about your book, um, that your book, that this is an urgent call for women to come together in their highest good. When we step out of fear, comparing, criticizing, and competing, and instead act as a unified force, the impact is nothing short of transformative. And at the end, there's an exclamation point, which like Raina, I'm getting chills in that one paragraph. And I want to know where did this book come from? What was the need that you felt that women needed to hear? And I know you said that it's full of tools and practices, but that is a powerful, powerful paragraph that is so real to me because I do feel that there is a jealousy and we're in this competitive and society pits us against each other, um, especially even something as, um, as, uh, as huge as motherhood, right? You know, it can tear us down and rise us high. And when women rise, I'm wondering if you can just talk to me and the women here and every girl that is listening about why we need to rise together. Our humanity is at a crisis point and so is our planet. And in order to heal both, it requires, it requires women to come together in our highest good. And collectively, we have the heart space, the intelligence, the capacity to solve these very, very serious problems on our planet. And unless we do, we're, we're facing extraordinary hardship. So the patriarchal system, the white patriarchal system has been unable to shape our humanity towards a place of health and well-being and thriving. 
And as women come together, as we, first of all, come home to ourselves in our greatest place of health and power, and we champion one another so that we're centering women's voices, that's where we're, we're going to see real change. That's the mandate. And the, um, the most profound spiritual and thought leaders on our planet today are, are pointing us to this direction. Women are asking for it. There isn't a woman in my life that isn't forming this conversation. And so this is the invitation. This is what we're called to do. And when Women Rise provides um, women with, um, uh, with, this, with a guidebook and inspiration and, and uh, hero stories, women's hero stories to help shift us towards that direction. I know you said you had an amazing school counselor that kind of pushed you on this path, but I'm wondering who else have been your greatest teachers? I'm wondering who has really, you know, gotten in your head and made you think differently. Well, my teachers come in extraordinary forms. Um, when I was 16, um, I had gone through a terrible loss. My, my first boyfriend died in a motor vehicle accident and I was in so much despair and I took refuge in, in the community library, reading um, book after book in order to, to get some kind of reprieve from my pain. And I came across this book called The Hermit. And um, the, the hermit was about a Tibetan Lama. And there was so much about his life and um, his story and the plight of the Tibetans that really moved me. And it kind of opened me up to um, this idea that we are something beyond our thoughts, beyond our thinking mind, beyond our emotions, beyond this body. And to me, that was really groundbreaking. And um, so I carried that book with me for years and years and years. Um, and then um, it was actually about three or four years ago, I decided that I wanted to read it again. And, um, um, but it had been lost in my last move. And so I reached out to a bookstore, some secondhand bookstore in Carolina in order to, to um, access the book again. I bought it, came you know, within a few days and I started reading up on the author and there's turns out there's all this controversy around this author. The author was not a Buddhist monk at all. He was not a Lama. He was not from Tibet. He was actually a plumber from Alberta. So, so here it is, this plumber from Alberta had written this book um, purporting to be um, a, a, a Lama, completely changed my life, was probably one of my greatest teachers and it was at that point that I realized, okay, this is actually the real deal. There's an inner Buddha within all of us and our teachers come in so many different forms. I think that's so powerful. That's so amazing. So <laughs> shout out to that plumber who forever changed your life. Right. <laughs> we can but then, but then we have all kinds of other amazing, you know, women who are really doing groundbreaking work and helping our hearts and minds. Um, uh, Dr. Shafali has been a dear friend and, and colleague. Um, uh, I, I love the work of Pema Chodron um, and am so fortunate to be able to, to go um, to the, to the 
a Buddhist nunnery sometime this year to, to study with her. And Tara Brock, who's a groundbreaking um, meditation teacher and psychologist who, who has um, really you know, guided my work a great deal. So I turned to, to female thought leaders and, and the women that I meet every day women that I meet every day. I love that. Well, you know, I think we're going to have to do a 2.0 episode because you have your hands in so many different things. And I think it's just insanely inspiring. And I hope our listeners, I hope that their main takeaway was how important, and I think we stress this almost in every episode, but that internal work and that internal quiet and that internal, just be with yourself and be okay with being with yourself is um, to just recenter and take breaks and, you know, digging into downtime frequency as we talk about. Um, do you mind telling our listeners where they can find you, how they can work with you? Um, when can we get your book? All of that kind of stuff. You can find me at michellecambolas.com. And I'm quite active on Instagram as well. So Michelle Cambolas on Instagram. Um, I respond to all of your, all of your DMs and always appreciate the community. And, um, and I do see clients still um, a couple of days a week. And so you can find out how to, how to reach me um, if you're looking for that kind of process uh, on my website. And the pre-sale, pre-sale for When Women Rise is happening now. So you can hop That's over amazing. to whenwomenrise.ca and learn all about it. And there's some free stuff with pre-sale and goodies. And um, it's a really welcoming space. And uh, I just am so beyond excited to share this body of work with you. You know, what's really cool is um, I discovered that you could put QR codes in the book. So I've done all of the recordings for the meditations and breath work and mantra work and so on. So the practice is then available to you anywhere, anytime. So you can be sitting in the parking lot waiting for your child to come out of school and, and be in practice and, you know, listen to a meditation or, um, or, or find your well-being through breathwork. And it's just right there and available. So that's one of the gifts of technology. It's beautiful, isn't it? Right? Yeah. I love it. Well, guys, please go check out her book. Um, get on the list, get, get it pre-ordered and when women rise, I cannot wait to dig into it. And I can't wait to see just what's next from you. So I hope you guys had an amazing time listening to this episode. I know I did. I took a ton of notes. Um, don't forget to like comment, share, subscribe, and we will see you on the next episode. 